The Hive Jive. It's time to be mindful and take a more bee-centric look inside our hives. Welcome to the Natural Beekeeping Corner with our host, Natalie B. Hello, family. Bonjour. And welcome back to the Natural Beekeeping Corner on the Hive Jive. I'm your host, Natalie B. And today we're going to talk about being mindful about unintended consequences and in a way being able to see the forest behind the tree. So let me uh, explain to you what I mean by that. Not too long ago, I was listening to a free uh, beekeeping educational webinar and the host was asking a very prominent PhD researcher what they thought was the most significant threat to honeybee health and the most likely killer of honeybee colonies. And the researcher's response was undoubtedly Vera and the viruses that they transmit, which together will kill your bees. So while Varroa and the viruses that they transmit are clearly a significant factor in problems with colony bee health, they're not the only one, and they're not the largest one. Um, Dr. Tarpey has mentioned before that research shows queens are the single most important factor in colony bee health and its failure. So I argue that actually varamites and the susceptibility to viruses that they transmit is actually a symptom of a bigger underlying issue. The first one being um, the quality of the queen. If she's not well-mated, if she's not local, if she's not from survivor, meaning untreated stock, she's most likely not going to perform as well and the colony will be basically limping along on uh, not enough feet and will be more susceptible to stressors particularly um, stressors caused by environmental factors. And this is where today's topic comes into play. Honeybee losses are caused by a combination of a variety of factors. It's not exactly clear as to what the main reason is. And they all add up, add up and, and um, amplify each other, which, um, which causes in the end colony collapse. So some of those stressors are habitat and flower loss or increasing intensive agriculture and associated food deserts and associated pesticide, you know, use. And there's also some more subtle changes in plant phenology as a result of climate change, as well as the changes in temperature that affect um, the quality and um, uh, extent of blooming for for plants in the area. So what I want to caution people is that thinking that the varroa and the viruses that it transmit is the biggest culprit and the main thing that we need to address is really hiding the forest behind the trees. And what it does is that it um, occults, it hides some of the other factors that we should be looking into. And more specifically in this case, the pesticides, the agrochemicals that are used uh, in particular in the United States and to which the bees are exposed in huge quantities. And not only just every single agrochemical or pesticide, but the combination, the synergistic effects that they have 
with each other. I don't know if you guys know this, but a lot of uh, farmers will actually uh, mix several chemicals in uh, their tanks before they spray their crops. And the research is not necessarily there to uh, determine what are the synergistic effects of those agrochemicals when they're mixed together. So there's research that's being done uh, by the pesticide companies on on, uh, some of their toxicity levels but those are done in vacuum uh, and, and, and usually uh, one at a time and not in combination with other agrochemicals. So what happens when beekeepers focus mostly on varroa and the viruses that it transmit, the effect of pesticides and the agrochemicals that are used in, in the agricultural industry are not necessarily held accountable for some of the synergistic effects that they may have that could very well be uh, one of the main causes of decline in honeybee populations as well as native bee populations. So what seems to happen actually is that honeybee mortality and honeybee fitness are negatively impacted by accumulative um, effects and those are synergistic interaction of stressors as well as additive interactions of stressors. And what that means is that in some cases, one plus one equals two, and in some cases, one plus one equals six. Uh, I'm just being facetious here. I'm just joking. But basically, um, if you have a pesticide that has a mortality uh, rate on honeybees of 10% and another one that has 20%, 20%, and, and you add these up, you could have an additive effect, which will come up to 10 plus 20 equals 30% effect. And then sometimes those have synergistic effect where they, uh, the pesticide end up uh, suppressing the immune response of the honeybee colony basically leaving them more vulnerable to other stressors, such as the varroa mites and their viruses or um, lack of nutrition or other issues. And in that case, that's a synergetic effect and it could be much more impactful on the colony. The problem is that these synergistic and additive effects are not clearly understood and there's not enough research being done. A lot of times what pesticide companies do uh, especially in the United States, they will apply for licensing and um, kind of uh, specify what their ingredients are and what their individual individual effects are. Um, and they will get approval and the product will hit the market and start being applied. But there's no follow-up being done after that. There's no... Um, um, post-licensing monitoring, I would say. like It's done in Europe, it's not done in the United States. So there's no long-term research once a product has hit the market to see what the synergistic effects are on the ground um, when it comes to honeybees and native bees. So one of the things that uh, European companies do when they file for a pesticide license is they're going to do a risk assessment study. So unlike in the US where company files for a patent for pesticides, they're going to have claims about how chemicals in the product interact to enhance one another. 
Well, in Europe, they're also going to look at the risk of them uh, synergistically uh, combining to to make toxic, uh, to have toxic um, effects. And that's something that we could do in the United States as well. The other thing that we could do is to look at monitoring post-licensing, the long-term effects on the ground when um, there's actual chemical interaction that's not as controlled. Uh, the way when farmers mix all their pesticides and their chemicals in their tank um, together before applying them to the field. And even when they don't, by the way, chemicals can drift. So there's chemical interaction on the ground, even when the farmers don't mix pesticides together. So the post-licensing monitoring would help in this case by looking at those interactions in the real world and their effect on the populations of bees, whether it be native bees or honeybees. By the way, pesticides um, includes insecticides. They kill insects, fungicide, they kill fungi and herbicides to target you know, weeds. And they work in a variety of different ways. Um, but what happens is that a lot of the insecticides, for example, target insects' immune systems. And so the, the problem with pesticides and fungicides, especially combining together, is that very often they will inhibit bees' natural ability to detoxify. And uh, just like when your liver is impaired, uh, you're not able to, your immune system is neg negatively affected and you're more susceptible to poisoning. Bees have um, detoxification uh, systems that are finite and the combination of those fungicides and pesticides tend to deplete or, or use up those um, detoxification tools and leaving them basically uh, incapable of um, detoxifying after all of it is depleting. So what that means is that at that point, their immune system is very negatively in fact affected. And when that's the case, varroa and viruses that it transmit, which would not otherwise have been an issue necessarily, become deadly. So again, I'm going to reiterate what I was saying earlier. To me, this sounds more like a symptom of an underlying issue. And if we are only focused on varroa and the viruses that it transmit as the silver bullet that's going to save our bees, we are completely missing the picture. And you know, no amount of treatments that we're going to put in, on those in those hives, which, by the way, is going to further uh, be impactful to the bees' immune system and their detoxification processes, which is not something that we measure. We measure lethal doses and, and uh, not necessarily longer-term or superorganism-wide uh, effects. So no amounts of treating bees against the viral mites is going to address the underlying issues um, of pesticide exposure, synergistic effects of insecticides, pesticides and fungicides, poor nutrition, poor queens. And the beekeepers are going to be left thinking that if they treat their bees, they're going to live because they're being told that if they don't, they're going to die. And those are false assumptions 
what really matters when you have um, honeybee colonies, if you want to be successful and uh, helping them uh, thrive, first thing you need to do is have a good local queen from resilient survivor stock, meaning that she's going to do well without, uh, she's going to do well naturally and, and is going to be able to adapt to stressors and um, pests and parasites such as the varroa mites and devices that it transmit. By having strong queens that are local, they're better adapted. The colony will be stronger. They'll be uh, more tooled with strategies uh, to take care of issues. Their immune systems are going to be stronger. So even there's a, if there's a presence of varroa mites, the viruses that it transmit is, are not going to become an issue. And uh, in, in, in thinking that by treating your bees... Um, you're going to solve all the issues with the varomites. I think that's a myth that's really has been that really has been damaging to most beekeepers. That's probably the biggest threat right there. Which brings me to my soapbox for the day. <laughs> there are people out there that have a vested interest in making you think that the varroa and the viruses that they transmit are the biggest threats to your, the single biggest uh, threat to your um, colonies. And some of them are doing research that's being paid and funded by people that either would like to see a silver bullet solving the issue or more uh, suspiciously, you know, pesticides companies that are trying to show that Varroa and the viruses that they transmit are the issue. They're trying to distract the narrative and um, at the same time both sell pesticides against those mites and uh, for some others sell their pesticides to farmers uh, without being, you know, observed, without without people realizing that they have a bigger impact uh, that people are aware of. And the other class of uh, players are the beekeeping supply companies that are selling um, chemical treatments uh, for your colonies, as well as a host of different gadgets and tools to help you fend off the pests and the, 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 the viruses that it transmits. And it's really a, um, it's a big marketing game if you think about it all. And I think that it would behoove us as beekeepers to come back to the basic, go back to the basics and realize that your biggest chances of success in having healthy colony bees, colonies of bees would be first and foremost, a really good education, understanding what the superorganism is, how it functions optimally, what, uh, what are the main components of success for a honeybee colony. Um, and also what the signs of issues are. If you're able to identify, well, first of all, I would say, you know, know that you have to have good stock. That's the kingpin to all your success. Good local survivor stock. I beat this one to death. This is really what you want more than anything else. And if you don't have that, you're not going to be necessarily successful. Uh, more uh, less is more when it comes to 
bees and and their health, as far as I'm concerned. So um, the more foreign substances you you put into a colony without really understanding the unintended consequences, um, the more risks you take of long-term having colonies that fail to thrive and or die, even if you think you're doing the right thing by treating them, for example, uh, with specific chemicals. So that's something to keep in mind. You're better off with good stock and a good education, really understanding the symptoms of uh, problems and being able to identify them early so that you can address them adequately. And very often it takes, you know, boosting up a colony, uh, pr- making sure they have good nutrition um, if, if they don't have a good queen. Like a lot of beekeepers will go for the Italian stock imported from out of state that's treated. And, and you really, when you start with that, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. What you really want, again, is something that's local, that's um, resilient and, and um, can tolerate the mites and be resistant to the viruses that they transmit, be healthy and strong uh, to have a, a good immune system. So what I always tell my beekeepers when we teach is you want to ask your bee suppliers a couple questions. Are they raised in the state? And what do you treat them with? Because they will be very proud to tell you what they're treating those bees with. Uh, and if they are um, not treating, they will also be very, very proud to tell you. And by the way, those bees will command a higher price because <laughs> they're more resilient and they're not as common to find those bees. A lot of time what you find is commercial beekeepers selling off their uh, colonies coming back from almonds, very often Italian bees. And not only is their um, comb tainted by some of the chemicals they use to treat their bees, but also they've been stressed. And what happens is that either they or uh, smaller scale beekeepers will buy off those uh, colonies and then break them up into nukes, uh, basically grabbing frames here and there and making up uh, what I call Frankenstein nukes uh, and, and give them a mated queen and then sell them as is to unsuspected beekeepers and a lot of them have been treated so just be mindful of where you're getting your bees and what their story is if you want to have the best chances of success in beekeeping also watch for signs of pests and pathogens um, issues with viruses and if you identify them early you can address them early enough and very often it takes um, just a few IPM strategies to take care of the issues and at the most extreme you can always requeen with local survivor stock. Now short of that if your bees do not survive at this point maybe they just weren't meant to be. I mean, there's such a thing as trying too hard to prop up poor genetics. Why would we want to keep uh, bees that are not able to do well on their own? What do we do? What do we want to put them on the on life support and extend their life or help them thrive? And then, as soon as their regimen of treatments is um, stopped, they'll they'll collapse and become actually an issue to um, bees that are. 
uh, do going at it alone and are more resilient alone because those bees will, if, if they collapse, they will just as well send out and be robbed and send out their pests and problems uh, in the world of bees. So I'd like to go back to the core of this uh, segment today and, and mention that, you know, if you keep in mind good stock in um, good conditions, Vera and the viruses that it transmit are not the main culprit. And it actually serves as a distraction. And, and beekeepers fail to realize that a lot of the problems that uh, their bees encounter come from their environment and the pesticides that are um, placed in their environment that uh, come in addition to issues with nutrition and, and weather. So really what I think we should do is look beyond parasites to other issues that are uh, really crippling our honeybee colonies. <clears throat> and I would like to also keep in mind that we, if we are really to be truly mindful about unintended consequences of um, human action, the anthropogenic uh, interactions with our environment, we need to also keep in mind that our honeybees are super efficient pollinators that uh, get a whole lot of attention. And there's a lot of research done, especially because there's a lot of money to be made in both the use of the honeybees as a pollination tool, but also the medication of the honeybees or the um, um, beekeeping gadgets and beekeeping hives and innovations that we use for uh, for beekeeping. I'm thinking in particular about that horrendous uh, article I read not that long ago about robots and patents about uh, using robot bees and the robotic beehives that are dropped off as cubes on uh, <laughs> on land and, and they do everything including treating frames one at a time which by the way is a big gimmick and um, in my opinion doesn't work at all if you're a real beekeeper you know that this is not the the best way to keep bees uh, it might be the best way to make money on the back of unsuspecting people or if we don't care about the bee colonies and we look at them as widgets that can be replaced anytime. However, it's not the very mindful way to keep bees. And the other unintended consequences, uh, other than the ones at the colony level and the, the population of honeybees level, are also the unintended consequences on the native bees. There's not enough research that's being done about native bees and the uh, their levels of collapse or or health, and the impact of pesticides and insecticides and herbicides and fungicides and all those acides that are poured uh, on a regular basis in the landscape. Um, their synergetic effect, especially the fungicides and the pesticides probably uh, wrecking havoc on the population of na native bees as well. So I want to leave you guys, um, I'm going to get off my soapbox and I'm going to leave you guys with those thoughts to ponder about uh, making sure that you do keep in mind the, the forest behind a tree, that you question um, what, uh, what people's background is and where they're coming from when they tell you things, as well as uh, just always do your own research to uh, kind of get a better idea of, of what is actually happening. The other thing I would say is really 
see for yourself and try it out. Try the keep your bees as naturally and as simply as possible, decreasing the stressors, uh, making sure they have enough food and, and uh, that conditions are good. And, and also have the courage to, when a colony is really not salvageable, they're obviously struggling uh, with pests and parasites um, beyond um, healthy conditions otherwise, and a good queen, uh, if, if, you know, if the queen is good, actually, they shouldn't struggle. But if you have a colony in genetics uh, that are not performing well, and I've heard people tell me, Oh, well, I want to keep, I want to raise uh, treatment free bees. I want to raise my genetics. So I'm treating them to knock back the mites so I can raise my own stock. I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, if you have to treat your bees, they're not survivor stock material. It's okay to let bad genetics die away and to foster the use of good genetics. This is what's going to save us all from the collapse of bees. Bees have been doing this for millions of years. And they will find solutions if we stop tinkering and, and messing up uh, their environment for them. So um, this is it. I get off my, I, I told you I was going to get off my soapbox and I didn't, <laughs> but now this is it. So if you have any questions, feel free to send me an email at bemindfulhoneyfarms at gmail.com. Come and visit us at b-mindful.com. We have free plans if you look, if you add slash plans to the URL, we have all kinds of information and we're revamping a website um, so that we can provide more quality information to you guys. And um, if you send me your questions, I'll be happy to answer them in an upcoming uh, segment and take it from there. Thank you so much. Don't forget to follow us also on the weekly chat with the Mindful Beekeepers on Instagram at Be Mindful Honey Farms and to get onto Patreon to get more of the Hive Jive. Uh, John and I are doing a weekly um, episode and we'd love to have you uh, join us. Thank you so much, you guys. Have a good month and be good, be mindful. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hive Jive. We appreciate you joining us on our beekeeping adventures. And you can find out more information about today's episode online at thehivejive.com. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>